Well, uh, good morning, everybody. Um, my name's Sean. I'm a pastoral resident here. I'm, I'm really excited. I, I actually haven't been here uh, at Arcadia in about a month. Um, I was asked to do some, diff- some other stuff on some Sundays a couple weeks ago, and then um, had the chance to go to L.A. for like a church planning conference deal, and then last week spent uh, the week in Alabama, which is a lot like L.A., um, just not at all. And um, so it's been fun, but I'm, I, I really am. I was saying first service how excited I'm about, like, to see Sean Johnson in his tight jeans and boots again getting down. That just, get, you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Uh, I was just jazzed up uh, about it. So, um, and just the people, right? So, like, the, I don't know if you guys know the Van Slykes. I wanted to, I don't know if they're here, but they, they have a, uh, something called the Boho Farm. They do urban farming, and um, so they eat all organic. And I wanted to just, like, go to them, like, let's go to McDonald's for lunch. And, uh, they wouldn't have liked that. Um, that was a joke, and I'm sorry about that. Um, hey, if you can, open to, to Romans chapter 6. David just read that. Um, what I, uh, I want to do, you can, can you guys hear me okay? Are we good? Yeah? Cool. Um, what, what I want to do is I, I want to get us all on the same page. Um, maybe this is your first time. You've never been to Redemption before, Redemption Arcadia. Um, but as, uh, as a whole church, so we're many congregations, right, with, as one church, um, we are together just blasting through the book of Romans. So six congregations are going through the entire book of Romans. So we're going at it from every angle, really trying to get at this. And we're, we're in the, the sixth chapter uh, today. And, and just some recap, so we're all kind of on the same page. Um, the last time I was here, actually, was the last time I, I preached for us. And uh, I, I went through uh, the, towards the end of chapter 5, talking about Adam and, and, and Christ and who we're in, who we're in Adam and Christ. And going into chapter 6, so, so we know, and uh, again, so we're on the same page here, um, what chapter 6 does is it turned, turned a corner for us and said, okay, if you're in Christ, everyone has been in Adam, but if, in your, if you're in Christ, then this is what things should look like, okay? So verses three and four told us basically, okay, you say you're in Christ. If you're in this room and you say you're in Christ, then let's look at Christ and how he died. And if you're in Christ and Christ died, then you die, okay? And, and if you're in Christ and he rose again and, and has new life, then, then, then you rose again and you have new life. And that's a, a great symbol of what Christianity should look like, that we came to the cross, we died to the cross, and now we have a new life. And so over and over in the sixth chapter, we've been talking about this idea. But what's crazy is there's been no imperatives. And an imperative is a fancy way to say, let me tell you what to do. In the book of Romans, it's been really awesome, but there has been no, okay, let me tell you what to do verses in the book of Romans, except last week we got to our first imperative, and Frank unpacked this for us. So I listened to the podcast, he said it perfectly. It's, a, it's the first imperative, and the first imperative, it, it totally depends on, and it pushes us in the direction of not what to do, but who we are. So the first imperative in the book of Romans, six chapters in, says, I don't want to just give you some rules to follow. I want to go at your hearts. I want to talk about your identity. Now, if you don't get that, you're not going to get into the three verses that we're talking about this morning because it's, it's not going to make sense. Like, like for, for some of us, we're going to hear in the sixth chapter of Romans, okay, be like Christ. You should be dying to sin and living righteous. And, and I feel like if you resonate with, with me on a day-to-day basis, I'm saying, yeah, but I don't feel like that. There are days where I don't want to read my Bible. There are days where I don't want to get up early and pray. I don't want to stay up late and read. Those days are, are probably more often than not. So if I'm a Christian and I know, as, as Hebrews 10 verses, uh, uh, verse 14 says, he made perfect forever those who are being sanctified, so the end of your faith is taken care of. Like, you've been made perfect forever, even though you're being sanctified. This process of sanctification is hard. 
and I feel like I'm not going anywhere, and there are more days than not that I don't feel like it's even happening at all. So what do we do with that? Like, like how, how do we deal with that? A, a couple years ago, um, myself and a buddy, we drove to Mexico, it was during Christmas time, to bring out some Christmas presents to this orphanage, you know, building mansions in heaven and stuff. And so we brought these, or, these, to, these uh, presents to these orphans, and we were on our way back from Mexico, and we got to the border, the, the U.S. And, and the Mexico border, and it was epiphany. I'd been to Mexico quite a few times before this, but we're in Mexico, right? And there's this line, and we drive over this line, and here's what's crazy. Before we drove over the line, I looked out, and what I see? I saw cactus, I saw desert, I saw mountains, I saw nothing. It was, it was vast nothingness, okay? When we got to the other side of the U.S., okay, I looked around, and you want to know what I saw? Nothing. I saw vast desert cactus, Yet on this side of the line, I wasn't, I wasn't a citizen. I didn't have the same rights as everyone else. I crossed this line, the land of opportunity. Everything's different, but for some reason, it looks the same. Even though everything is different at that point, it still looks the same. And I resonate so much with that. And, and I think some of you do as well, because like, I'm, I'm following Jesus. And I hear what you're saying, Frank, as far as my identity being changed. But there are more days than not where... I just don't know how to do this. I don't know how my identity changes. I, I don't feel, I don't, I don't always want to walk it out. And, and that's what I want to talk about this morning. Our goal this morning is, is to really get at this idea of, and, and, and very practically and pragmatically, like, how do we beat this thing? Like if, if Jesus died for our sins and there's still sin within us, and we, we have, first John would say, if we say we're not a sinner, we call God a liar. So there's a tension, a biblical tension that says, well, you need to understand you're a sinner, okay? Don't, don't lie and say you're not a sinner, but at the same time, you need to run from sin. So, so, so I want to talk about this tension, and I want to practically walk us through, well, how, how do we get through this? Like, like, what are some things that we can do to really go at sin? Here's where I want to start. It's actually in Titus. You can turn there if you want. You don't have to. But in Titus chapter 2, if you want to just listen, here's a great verse for us to kind of set a, a, a pathway for us. In, in uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 14, this is what it says. Who gave himself, who is Jesus? So Jesus gave himself for, uh, for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own position, uh, possession. So Christianity 101 says this, and I, I think everyone, even if you're a Christian here or not, knows this. This man, Jesus Christ, this God-man, Jesus Christ, came and died for your sins so that you can be his people. That's Christianity 101. But then he describes that people. That, that people that, that call themselves a Christian, that Jesus died for, this is what he says, a purify for themselves, a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. So if we believe the cross, there is something that describes those people. Those people are zealous for good works. They now want to. So, so the truth is, Jesus doesn't come and just die for your sins so that you can mechanically walk out the right things now. He dies for your desires. He dies for your wanter. He dies for your will. Now all of a sudden something's happening. That's why in, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, it clearly tells us that we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So there's this working out of salvation with this all, this fear and trembling, because it's God who works in us both to hear this will and work for his good pleasure. To will, so God wills in us and works in us for his good pleasure. So the trick in it all is not to say it's not your actions that's going to beat sin. It's not your actions it's your affections. It's, it's, not, it's not you 
doing the right thing because he had a people who did the right thing, but their heart was far from him. And you know what he called them? A group of snakes. But our affections, and, and for us, we said, but I can't change my affections. I don't feel like it. And I, I'll just simply say this. Guys like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, C.S. Lewis, A.W. Tozer, John Piper would say the same thing over and over in writings. They would say this, your actions um, are, are nothing before God unless they're motivated by this love. This is 1 Corinthians 13. So love, you can give your body to be burned for the cause of Christ. But if it's not out of love, it's nothing. Okay? So, so what do we do? I can't change my affections. What they would say is, act as if your affections are changed. And when your affections change, your actions will change. It's like, oh, great, C.S. Lewis, you're a genius. You wrote Chronicles of Narnia. Um, okay? But, but that's tough, right? But what they're saying is, act as if they are and then when they are, you'll act. And I know that sounds crazy, but that's what I want to get at this morning. I want to get at what this looks like to fight sin, to beat this thing, to really go at it. And here's what we're going to do. We have three verses to go at. That's it. And the first verse, I want to give us something that, and it's very practical, something we need to know to do this. What do we need to know if we're going to fight sin? What is it we need to know? In the next verse, we're going to talk about what we need to do. So there is something we need to know, and there is something we need to do. And then in verse 14, we're going to talk about the one piece that holds both of those things together. The one thing that, that, that holds this whole thing together. So let, let's go through this, and, uh, and, and we'll stop. I'm going to read it. Um, like I said, we only have three verses, so um, I'll do a lot of explaining. Let me read the verse, and then I'm, I'm going to make our first statement the thing we need to know. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body. The therefore is therefore because... Uh, what I just talked about, everything in, in chapter six. So therefore, let not sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Now I'm gonna make a statement. Here's the thing you need to know, and, and you might not at first agree that it has to do with the verse, but I promise it does. Here's the first thing you need to know. Your desires, you need to know this. Your desires have been compromised, okay? And, and when I mean compromised, it's maybe a play on words because I do mean ultimately you're, you're not striving for the ultimate uh, uh, ultimacy that is found in joy in God, but I don't, that's not so much what I mean. I mean it more in the ways it's been compromised, like a, like military would say this mission's been compromised, or our house foundation has been compromised. Your desires, a better way to say it, are broken. Here, you, you need to know this. Your desires are broken. So maybe you don't know anything about the Bible today, um, and that's okay. So let me, Bible 101, here's where it happens. The first two chapters in the Bible, uh, God clearly tells us that everything he made is good. And then he puts Adam and Eve together, and he says it's very good. So we have in the first two chapters of the Bible that we read and trust and believe that it's God's word tells us that at the core, everything God made is good. It's good. Wanting to have sex is good. He made the, 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 set, the cells to swell where they are. He made the passion. It's good. At its core, it's, wanting to have money is good. It's a good thing. Food is a good thing. These are good things at their core. But then the next chapter, what happens here is we see that now things are broken. And one of the curses is God looks at Eve, he says, your desire, and what he says next is irrelevant at this moment, but what he's going to talk about is the will of what's happened. It's, it's broken. So now we have these desires that were good, and now they're broken. So money is, is broken, and, and sex is broken, and food is broken. And then Christ comes along, and as we told in Colossians 2 verse 20, that through the blood of his cross, he's reconciling all things back to himself. These desires now are coming back to the cross, and so he has saved us for all eternity, but we still feel like we're in this broken place because we are. 
so you need to know your desires are broken. Now, I understand you may read that verse and say, well, that's not what it's saying. So, so let me explain. I'm going to read this verse again. In verse 12 of chapter 6, it says this. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Your mortal body now, here, tangible, right? Reign, this dominion word, what Frank has been talking about. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Unfortunately, in English, we're going to read that it's to make you obey its passions, and we're going to correlate it to let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. We're going to say well, that's sin, that it's, because if we obey its passions, but it's, and you can't see this, unfortunately, uh, in English, only in Greek here, that it doesn't correlate with sin, it correlates with body. What it's saying is you can literally become a slave to yourself. It's, it's ultimately telling us that, that if sin reigns in our body, we obey everything our body wants to do. And our body wants to do a lot of things. And not all of them are godly. And some things in this moment are, are, are godly. And we, 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 we tweak them and we torque them to say, this is how I want to do it. And it becomes ungodly. And so when he says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions... You can become a slave to yourself. Uh, Blaise Pascal, um, a philosophical mathematician, ultimately, I didn't didn't know if he was a Christian. I was having a conversation between services. I guess he was a self-proclaimed Catholic. But in the end, this is what he says. It's a bleak view, but but it's been read in this room before, but I want to read it again and focus on one part. This is what Blaise Pascal would say uh, to this. All men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and the others avoiding it, it's the same desire in both, attended with different views. The will never takes the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action of every man, even those who hang themselves. So he would say, ultimately, in his view, he would say, I see it, and all men want to do, always pushing towards this, I'm a slave to happiness, as long as I'm happy, as long as I can do this. And, and, and Christ comes on like, in the end, that, that's not always the case. Like, though happiness will be brought, ultimate, and we don't have to get into the distinctions between joy and happiness in this moment, happiness, but, but it's not always easy. Fasting 40 days in a desert is, is not always easy. It doesn't always make you happy. Have you ever fasted for a day? Like, your kids come up, you're like, why are you always touching me, okay? You're like irritable, like you're irritable, you're throwing kids around, you're like kicking things, okay? It's, it's, it's not happy, okay? But you look at this in this moment, and I'm not controlled by happiness in Christ does something. And so what I would say this about this, just the overtone, here's what you need to know. Your desires are broken. They, they've been compromised. The best way to illustrate this is a couple years ago, um, I did this Tough mutter run myself, uh, my wife Candace and, uh, and, and Joanna, who's in our redemption community. We went and did this, uh, this Tough mutter. If you don't know what Tough mutter is, it's a 12-mile run with 24 obstacles. And these obstacles aren't like, let's jump over a, you know, a stick. No, these are like, swim through ice water and climb up a wall and crawl under a tunnel and walk on a balance beam. Well, you get towards the end of Tough mutter, um, and you cut it. You got to go up this like, uh, I don't know what this is, but um, you got to crawl up the, uh, this, this huge skateboard ramp, okay? And it's covered in mud and you slip and eventually you get over, okay? Well, you, you get to these harder obstacles over and over and you get to the very end and, and we're watching videos. We'd watch videos before we did Tough Mudder and we're expecting at the end, there's, there's going to be this about 20 foot wide by maybe 40 foot wide um, section with all these cords hanging down. And these cords have 10,000 volts spread out amongst them, okay? And you, like a moron, are supposed to run through those cords, Okay? So I'm expecting that. Unfortunately, in Phoenix, they decided to change it up. 
So um, what they did was they didn't just make it a straight run. You had to run through like an S, a zigzag. Not only that, they said, well, we're not just going to have you run through the mud. We're going to have you run through two feet of water, okay? Yeah, water is a conductor, bro, okay? So, um, so, so, so we get to this. And, and like grown men, I, I left my wife and Joanna behind. I'm, you know, doing my own thing. I'm a tough mutter. And so I, um, I got 12, there's 12 of us. We're like, one, two, three, and we go. And I don't know who got shocked the first time, but we just drop, boom. Like we all just freeze, 10,000 volts, right? Okay, so we just hit the water. And at this point, it's just like, I don't want to die, okay? So you're trying to swim through this thing. And because water's a conductor, everyone else who's running through this, as they get shocked, well, it's going through them in the water to you. So you're like crawling through the water, okay? Um, Getting shocked along the way, and, and you have no control. So I get out, and I'm completely covered in mud from head to toe. One of the things that's covered in mud I've never had happen before, is my eyeballs are covered in mud, okay? So I'm trying to blink, but there's mud water in my eyeballs, okay? So I can't see. I just want to get out of here, and there's about a 100-yard tunnel of all these things for people who complete Tough Mudder they get. They get shirts and wristbands and headbands and beers and drinks and Gatorades and backpacks and chewy bars and all these different things. The problem is I can't see anything, so I'm running through this thing, and somebody hits me with, with a, a shirt, and I'm like, yeah, I got a shirt. And I'm passing all of these things because I'm blinded. My eyes are broken. And this is the same way our desires are. Like, although there's these good things, we're missing the goodness of what these things are because we're broken. Our, our desires have been compromised. You need to know that when it comes to fighting sin because there are days where you're going to be like, well, I just feel like God wants me to. And and, and growing up in a charismatic movement, the charismatic movement, I'm telling you, um, just laying down the God God card, God wants me to. No one can argue with that. God wants me to sleep with him. You're not married. I know God wants me to. How do you argue with that, right? Let me show you in the Bible. Yeah, but God wants me to. Like, for us to just, anyway. um, Okay, so so there's the first thing. You need to know that your desires are compromised, okay? Here's the, the second thing that we need to know. I'll read verse 13, and then we'll go at it the same way. Um, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. I'm going to make a a, a statement here, what you need to do, and it's going to be so obvious that I think we're going to miss it, and here's what it is. You need to kill sin. Please hear me. Here's the thing you need to do. You need to kill sin by walking towards righteousness. Now, I need that to sit for a second. You need to kill sin by walking towards righteousness. Righteousness is a fancy church word that we would say, we want to know the God of the Bible rightly and act accordingly. What his law would say, what he tells us to do, that's righteousness, doing what is right before God, okay? Now, now don't get lost in what I'm, to kill sin, we need to walk towards righteousness. But by killing sin, we're becoming more righteous, Okay. Now, I understand that that's, that's tricky, and then that can be lost, so, so here's, here's what I would say to that. I, I would say, for the most part, in, in our Christian culture, especially in, in, in younger reform uh, cats like us, we, we ultimately probably push towards the direction of um, doing things within Christianity that are, are cool within Christianity. What I mean by that is I would say Sean Mortensen says it in a good way, that uh, young reform guys, like, they love the, the fun side of mission, what he means by that is they, they like to go out and have a beer and maybe cuss and, and because I'm going to be with somebody who's not a believer, I'm really going to resonate, but there's no fighting sin. Like sin isn't taken seriously. 
let me read a couple things for you because there's some, some things over and over we see in Scripture, you guys, in the New Testament. If we believe that the cross is what it is, we proclaim that Jesus is Savior, um, that's reactive. So, so um, let me make a statement real quick, and this may be super obvious and maybe too much in this moment. There is a way that you can know you're saved, okay? You, you will know you are saved if you are fighting for that salvation. Now, I know that sounds crazy. I know that sounds crazy, but if something has happened in you where you desire and long for God, where before you didn't, okay, God is doing something in you because you are saved. But the fight isn't easy. And, and we don't like to talk about this part. We think, hear me, listen. First Peter, um, you don't have to go there. I'm going to read a couple of these things. In First Peter chapter 2, verse 11, it says, sin goes to war against our soul. It goes to war. It talks about this, myself, within me, like sometimes thinking thoughts about another woman, even though I love my wife, like I have these thoughts, it's, it's warring within me. And though my flesh so badly wants to do this, my spirit doesn't want to do this. So it's not easy for every time, every time I have a, a thought about another woman, I, I pray for my wife. Sean has decided he's going to pray for his wife when he has a thought about another. Well, that's not easy. That's war. That's war going inside me because everything else wants to go that direction. So that's not easy. And First Peter would say, sin is going to war against your soul. And we don't talk about that because it's not easy. It's a lot easier just to give in. But your desires have been compromised. Everything you feel, everything you want, everything you think you need isn't always the right thing. More than that, we have in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, uh, we're told to train ourselves in righteousness. So he talks about training. We're told to labor in prayer. How many of us can resonate with that? Running to win in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we're literally told that Paul says he beats his body into submission. Now, now here's the thing. I think for the most part, we would give ourselves a gracious B plus in this. Like we would say, yeah, I know I'm not getting all, I know I'm not always fighting sin, but we're kind of casual about it. Like as long as I'm not Miley Cyrus on a, on a wrecking ball, I'm cool type of thing, okay? And so I, I'm, I'm not perfect, but I know I'm not this, and it's, it's this is gracious B plus. Like I'm, I'm getting there. And, and in the end, like if we look at our history in the Old Testament, if sin came into the camp, we would surround the dude and stone him to death. Literally throw rocks at him until he dies. In the New Testament, Jesus dies for sin. In Acts, this, this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, come up individually and they die. God kills them on the spot because they lie. All of us would be dead. Even in our church history, people erred so far on removing from sin, they would literally cut off parts of their body if they believed it was sinful. But not us. Now, I know there's a lot of error even in that early church history example, but, but my point is, why are we so quick to, to resonate with this idea of how close can I get to the walk of, uh, of sin and how, how, how far can I push the limit instead of running from it? Like, like if, if the pathway is narrow, why are the edges so frayed? So our verse would say this, do not, another imperative, this what to do word, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. The word present is perfect because the, it's, it's like the word yield, like to present something is, is to yield, like we would think of yielding fruits. So if I see an apple tree, it's going to yield apples. Why? Because it's an apple tree. And so when we talk about presenting, it's showing what is done. So don't show what God has done in you by ultimately, this is what he says, um, uh, do not present your members, that your body parts here, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. This idea of instruments is like a, it's not like a, um, 
like a tuba. It's like a doctor's scalpel. It's like a, something, a tool or a weapon. Don't take your body here and use it for righteousness to serve, or unrighteousness, to serve unrighteousness. Don't take these things and, and use them to serve unrighteousness, but, this is what he says, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So, so what I'm saying ultimately is we can look at something here and say, though it's good and it's broken, I'm trying to reconcile it to the cross, um, I can use these instruments now to serve unrighteousness. I can use my body to serve the, what I want, though my desires are broken, or, or I can serve to walk towards righteousness. Now, I understand that may be obvious um, in saying it, and, and I want to read the last part of it again because I, I think it, it helps us um, really understand it. He says, where a man is, is given, or I'm sorry, that was part of my notes. I shouldn't have read that. Um, uh, to God as instruments for righteousness. So this working out, um, there's something Pastor Ricardo had said in the, the preaching collective that I was told he said, um, he's the pastor in Tempe. This is a good example. So let, let's talk about food, right? Okay, so food in this moment was originally made what? It was good, okay? Now food, uh, we can look at food and we could say, Last night, the Myers family went to Little Caesars, got herself a $5 hot and ready, word up, okay? Um, so we, we get this pizza and we eat it, okay? Now we can look at this pizza and we can do two things with it, okay? We can ultimately say, you know what? I know this food will give me life. I know this food will give me life. But, but in the end, I'm going to, to remind myself that it's God who ultimately sustains me. And we can fast from that food. Or we can take that food and say, God made this. Like, he made the bread. He thought of bread. He thought of, of cheese. Have you ever had guacamole? The dude thought of guacamole. You ever put guacamole on a steak in a tortilla? Okay, you know what? Like, he made it to where these different foods put together make a whole new flavor. We were in, Cal- in, the, in L.A. at that church planning deal, and we went to a restaurant, I think it was called 50-50, and we ate a burger, and it was half um, beef and half bacon. That was the patty. Half beef and half, I know, that's what I'm saying. So, so we ate this and it was like bacon and beef, they go together, okay? And like they had bacon um, milkshakes. Have you ever been to the fair? You could fry anything. You could, like you bring a jar of urine and fry it. It's weird, okay? So like in the end, like we have all these mixtures and God made it to be enjoyed. He made it and it brings glory to him. It's a good thing. And we can use our mouth and our taste buds to enjoy it as instruments for righteousness, or we can wolf it down, we can just take it, we can just continue to consume it, and we can move into a direction called gluttony, which is an instrument of sin. That's an obvious example, but this is over and over and over. Again, sex is a good thing. It's an instrument for righteousness. It brings glory. All the married people, word up. You know what I'm saying right now. It brings glory to God. But what we can do is we can take that act and use it as an instrument for unrighteousness. So when I say kill sin by walking towards righteousness, do what you know you should be doing. The Holy Spirit, if he is working on you, is telling you to remove this and stop being so lackadaisical about this thing. It's not to be trifled with. Man, in the end, it's going to bring death. It's looking to kill you. Matter of fact, right after the fall, in the next chapter of Genesis, uh, God tells Cain, hey, Cain, be careful because sin is crouching at your door and desires to overtake you. It wants you. It wants your actions. It wants your heart, and it wants to consume you. 
So be diligent to walk towards righteousness, and that will kill sin. So if we have what we, we, we know, what we, what we should know, and we have what we should do, and what we should know is understand, we should know that, that our desires are compromised, and understanding that our desires are compromised, we, we can see that our actions being motivated by the cross. The cross is it's good, and God, I, I want to serve you not just because it's mechanical. I want to serve you because it already is paid for, and if, if, it's, if that's the case, then I want to walk towards righteousness, then, the, then, then what holds those two things in place is, is the most important thing. So our last verse. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Now the first two verses were that, is that fancy word, that imperative word, that to do, but not verse 14. So everything dealing with our identity, how, how, do, I, how do I become who I'm going to be that one day when I stand before Jesus Christ glorified? How, how do I get there? How do I walk this thing out? Well, I do this by knowing this. I do this by doing this. But then there's this whole other thing. Is you're not doing anything because it's, it's not an imperative. It's not a have to. It's a, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. It's a promise. It's not a what, what you, you do, it's, it's what you've done. And you know what the promise is? Is that you're not under the law anymore, but you're under grace. And maybe that doesn't make sense, but let me tell you what the law will say over and over and over again. It uses this, some, this, this, this idea of guilt, and it says you're never, ever going to be able to do enough. You're never going to be able to do enough. You're never going to be able to do enough to be good enough. And yet grace comes along and says you're never going to be able to do enough. You're never going to be able to do enough. You're never going to be able to do enough to not be accepted by me. So the law is going to say, you can't do enough. You're, you're messing up. And here is, here's the accuser, the devil, looking at you. You see what he's doing? And here is grace saying, yeah, I see what he's doing. I know what he's done as we look at the holes in his hand. Yeah, yeah, I know what he's done. But it's, it's paid for, man. And, and we walk in the law because guilt controls us. It, it breaks us down. A couple years ago, I was working at this vitamin company called Trivita, and all my coworkers at the time were reading the, the J.C. Uh, Dugard story, J.C. Dugard, Dugard, whatever it is. I don't know if you guys remember this story, but it was this girl. She was about 12 or 13 years old. She was kidnapped um, by this guy and basically held hostage for 18 years. Um, I believe it was 18 years. And it was just, it was a crazy conversation. I'd read some of the book. I passed it on to a buddy of mine, Brandon, and, and uh, just reading through it. And it really got me intrigued to, to really read about like predators and people who, who kidnap. And it was amazing to me that you come to find that these guys will, will take this little girl or take this little boy or take this woman and they'll, they'll trap them and they will just begin to like give them things and then take those things away and then give them things and then take those things away. So who gives? Well, well I give. Okay, and then they'll begin to physically abuse them, and then they'll begin to emotionally abuse, and then they want to remove who you were. That's not your name. They're going to change your name now, and they begin to break you down and break you down, and at first, day one, you're like, somebody help me, please. Somebody, please, and by day two, please, and by day 10, please, and and a year later, please, and you're broken down, and these people are broken down so much that literally, the predator can take this victim into a grocery store. Though she is surrounded by all these people. All she has to say is, I've been kidnapped and he kidnapped me. She is so broken down. She has been so abused and, and, and so like, like done for that she won't even cry out for help anymore. And that's exactly what guilt does. Like, like, 
you're not going to get it right. You, you can't do it. Like, like over and over, how many times has Sean Myers picked up the remote instead of picking up his Bible? And there's this like, ugh, I'm an idiot. Why do I do this? And I've fallen asleep. And like, I could pray, but I'm tired. And like, why? I wake up next. And there's this guilt. But the issue is I'm not under the law anymore. I'm under grace now. And, and like a predator, it's, it's here. And all you have to do is say, I've been kidnapped. And Jesus is sitting there saying, no, no, no. She's mine. You don't have any ownership of who she is. She's mine. And this is grace. This is the promise. It is is done. It's finished, man. It's finished. So even if you walk this thing out and you are longing, remember he dies for his people's wanter, their desires, and you're longing to continue to fight over and over, get rid of this flesh, and you fail, and you fail, and you fail, and you just can't get it right. Understand, you will stand before Jesus Christ. You're not to simply say, I, I didn't fight that fight to say what I can uh, uh, have done, but I, I simply fought that, that, that fight to show what Christ has done, to say, man, win or lose, in the end, I win. You, you got to get it. You got to understand that what holds what we need to know to fight sin, what we need to do to fight sin, it is fully foundational grace. Grace is what upholds these things. Now, I started in Titus chapter 2. Um, and I started with verse 14, but I'm going to read um, the two verses before that, and I don't want you to hear this and, and why grace ultimately does what it does. This is what it says in verse um, uh, 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. What has appeared? The grace of God. The, we're talking about grace right now. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Hear this next line. Training us. What's training us? Grace is training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of the great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and purify for himself a people for his own possessions, who what, again, who are zealous for good works. What trains us? Grace trains us. Grace trains us. This is why, why, why uh, he starts at the heart. This is why Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14, I don't want your possessions. I want you. This is prophetic. God saying the same thing. I, I, don't, I don't want just your tangible thing. I don't want you just to do these things, to do these things. He doesn't look just to, to take from you. He doesn't want your 2013 Lexus. He made everything. He's got the 3013 model in his garage. What are you worried about? Like, he has everything. He's not looking just to take from you. He wants you. He desires you. There's no better picture of this than in the movie The Breakup with Jennifer Aniston. I don't know if you guys have ever seen this, this um, uh, thing, but with, with Jennifer Aniston, uh, Vince Vaughn and, and Jennifer Aniston are arguing, and she's like, you know, I'm Jennifer Aniston. I was in Friends. And he's like, I'm Vince Vaughn. I was undodgeable. Okay, and so they're arguing. It was a weird monologue. I think I made some of that up. And, and so they're arguing, and ultimately she wants him to do the dishes. Okay, she wants him to do these dishes, but he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll do the dishes. And she's like, no, 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 no. I want you to want to do the dishes. And he's like, why would I want to do the dishes? Who wants to do dishes? And the point, the, 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 the motivation in the, in the movie, what, what they're trying to get at is no one stands across from their future husband or wife. So I don't stand um, before Candace in 2006 and the pastor asks me, do you take this woman to be a bride? And I go, yeah, I guess. Here, Candace, you win. You know, just take it. No one wants that. 
And if you do want that, you are ridiculously desperate, and we need to talk after service, because that's bad, okay? Like, nobody wants someone just to, like, do these things. And I'm not saying God is like, please want me. What I'm saying is God died for your wanter, and he used grace to do it. The motivational means in which uh, pushes our actions towards the cross is grace. That's what does it, man. That's, that's what does it. That's what, what stirs within us is grace, and it's so good. And, and maybe for some of you in this room, you haven't tasted what that grace looks like. And I would challenge you, let the weight of guilt and law come off and accept the free gift of Jesus Christ and then get ready to go to work. What, what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm going to pray for us and then I'm going to give you a couple minutes to, uh, to just, just think. Um, and I don't think we do a lot of meditating in the church today. And what, I, what I'd love, like, as, as you, you think through this passage to meditate on the word, as Psalms 119 would say, like, we meditate on his word and think through what does this look like. And, and though your mind is immediately going to go to all these sins that, that you're still dealing with and all these sins you feel like you can't beat, I would challenge you to discipline your body and not go there. I would say in this moment, remind yourself that grace is so big and say, God, and here's your prayer, God, let me see the beauty of the cross in such a way that I want to I want to, not just want to want to do these things, I want to do these things. And, and it's not easy. Like, it's, it's not easy. Over the past year, Candace has tricked me into eating healthy food. She's been slowly putting spinach and, and removing all these things. And at first, I was like, what is this? And a year later, she's like, we've been eating healthy for a year. I'm like, really? That's weird, okay? I didn't even notice the, the change. And at first, I, my, it wasn't here, but now my palate has changed. And, and it's not easy but if it's motivated by grace, these steps, and so we would move forward towards the cross, picking up our cross daily, being motivated by grace. So, so, so think about that, meditate on that. I'm going to pray for us, and then after that, I'll come up a, a couple minutes later, and, and uh, we'll, we'll have a time of response. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we thank you. We are, um, we're humbled by your word. It is, uh, it's powerful. It's what gives us life, and it's crazy because it's a discerner of innermost thoughts. Like, it, it separates bone and marrow, soul and spirit. Like, it, it's what convicts us. And, and this morning, you gave us something to, to show us what we need to know to fight this sin. Our identity is found in you, but, but our flesh doesn't want to be there, and so it's pulling away, and we need your, your help, Holy Spirit, May it be you who does things within us, and we can't white-knuckle our way through this whole thing. Help us, Jesus. God, we love you. We thank you for grace and that the removal of the law and guilt is gone. And now we can freely, because we have been set free by the Son, and whom he sets free is free indeed, we can, we can freely fight these things. We can know that we're fighting a foe that has been beaten, that though sin wants to, to come in and take over, we can know that in the end there will be a day where we stand before you, Jesus, sinless because of your grace. We love you, God. Though our actions say otherwise sometimes, we love you. We thank you. We need you. May we fight sin. May we love you well. In Jesus' name, amen.